Well, we'll look at Matthew 7, verses 13 through 20 this morning. If you want to turn there in your Bible or the, uh, just the next page in the bulletin has that printed there. Uh, Jesus is starting to close the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, he's been talking about the strange blessing of life with God. God life in, in the kingdom of heaven is a, a strange blessing. It's a blessing that we wouldn't have uh, instinctively asked for or thought was a blessing. But here it is. <clears throat> he's talking about his, uh, his kingdom and the strange blessing of life with God in his kingdom. And now he explicitly invites us here toward the closing of his sermon uh, to enter his kingdom. He calls us to respond uh, carefully to him, to follow him in his way. So <clears throat> something like an altar call, I guess you could say, uh, at the end of the Sermon on the Mount. But, uh, but Jesus warns us that entering his kingdom, which is what he's inviting us to do, calling us to do, uh, entering his kingdom might not be such an obvious and easy thing to do. Uh, it might be easier for us to be led astray from following him uh, in his way. So in, uh, in particular this morning, we'll hear about his warning about false prophets, false teachers uh, who would deceive us and lead us away from Jesus. So we have to be careful to the teacher. Uh, we have to be careful about the teachers that we listen to uh, because our spiritual life depends on the true pro- proclamation of the gospel. And we give teachers in the church great influence in that regard uh, to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ to us. So teachers have an impact on our lives. So we're called to detect false teachers, to keep away from them, and to cling to the gospel truly taught for our life with God. So that's what we'll talk about this morning. Uh, Let me pray, then we'll read the scripture. Father, there is one good teacher who we can trust implicitly, and that is your son, Jesus. And he is just the teacher that we have the most difficult time trusting. So as we hear his words this morning, uh, we pray that you'd help us to hear your gracious love to us. Help us to believe Jesus and to follow him faithfully. We pray in his name. Amen. Jesus said, enter by the narrow gate. For the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction and those who enter by it are many. For the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life. And those who find it are few. Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. You will recognize them by their fruits. Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? So every healthy tree bears good fruit, but the diseased tree bears bad fruit. A healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a diseased tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus, you will recognize them by their fruits. It's the gospel of Jesus Christ. Praise be to you, O Christ. So first, uh, you know, let me just address an apparent tension here between what Jesus is saying and uh, what we often hear in the gospel. So if you're familiar with the gospel of Jesus Christ, you know it's the proclamation of a free gift. The free gift of eternal life. The free gift of God's gracious love. He forgives sinners. It's uh, The gospel is Jesus saying, as he does later in Matthew's gospel, Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. I'm gentle and lowly in heart. I'll give you rest for your souls. Uh, But then Jesus says here, Enter by the narrow gate. For the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life. And those who find it 
are few. So which is it? Is the Christian life like resting? Like resting in Jesus? In the good promises of the gospel, the free grace of God? Or is the Christian life like squeezing through a narrow gate and tracking a difficult trail to, to be able to follow Jesus? And the answer, of course, is yes. The Christian life is like entering by the narrow gate and sticking to the difficult path in order to rest. In order to rest in Jesus. In order to find our life with God exclusively in Jesus and nowhere else. So Christianity is about who Jesus is. It's about what he's done on our behalf. And the Christian life is, uh, in one sense, simply about entrusting yourself to him. It's that resting component. Just entrusting yourself to him. He's, he's got you. He's taken care of you. He's given you life with God as a free gift. But in another sense, that's a very difficult thing to do. And it is easy. It's automatic even to look elsewhere for our life with God. So the author of Hebrews uh, says, I think the same way, uh, the same thing in this way, he says in Hebrews 4, let us strive to enter that rest. Let us strive to enter that rest. Enter the rest through the narrow gate and the difficult way, the difficult path, right? So Jesus says uh, the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction and those who enter by it are many. So this is the way Jesus sees things. And you can take that or leave it however you like. This is the way Jesus sees things. The default direction of sinful human beings is toward the wide gate. The path that we walk in life by reflex, without even thinking, unconsciously, is the easy way that he's talking about here. Our factory preset, as it were, as sinners, means that we're on our way to destruction. Because being a sinner means that we've chosen life apart from God. That's the way we want life, life on our terms, life apart from God. And that is so fundamental to our nature now as sinners that it's like a pre-chosen choice. You don't even have to choose. It's not even a conscious choice anymore to go the way that leads to destruction. It doesn't matter what flavor of sinner you are. Uh, this is true for all of us. This is what Jesus, this is how he sees it. <clears throat> uh, you know, atheist, uh, agnostic, you know, just not quite sure. Uh, Buddhist, Muslim, uh, whatever. According to Jesus, these really are all manifestations of the same thing, the same people on the same road of life, apart from God, away from God. Even the Jews who have the scriptures, yet don't receive Jesus as the Messiah, they're on the same road, according to Jesus. Even people who say they follow Jesus, yet who fundamentally have a wrong conception about Jesus or or what it means to follow him, even they're on the same road. More on that probably next week as we look at the next passage. Jesus uh, talks about that. But it doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter what's your religion. It doesn't matter what kind of life you're trying to live apart from Jesus, the true Jesus that's revealed in the scriptures. It's all the same. Wide gate, easy way, destruction at the end. Whether you're religious or irreligious, those are really just two sides of the same coin in Jesus' view. Because all these approaches have this in common. They're all ultimately self-referential. They're all ultimately self-reliant in their self-willed approaches to spirituality, to life, uh, even to God in some sense. They're all self-referential and self-willed approaches. They center on me, on what I think 
on what I want, on what I do, on who I can be, on how I am good enough or not, or even on how I just don't care whether God is real or I just don't care whether I'm good enough or not. The default state of sinners is that reality is defined by me. And that reality depends on me and it revolves around me. So the way that leads to destruction is the way of the self. It's life lived from the self, through the self, to the self. Apart from Jesus, that's instinctive. That's intuitive. That's natural. It's automatic. It's, it's the way of life for all people apart from Jesus. There's another way, and it's the way of Jesus. The way that is Jesus. The way of vicarious life through Jesus. The way of the crucifixion of self. The upside-down way of life in his kingdom. So it, it isn't just about seeing Jesus do nice things and saying, oh, he, he's a good guy, I want to be like that. Imitating him in order to be a good person. Right? This is, we're talking about the way of faith that embraces Jesus and trusts him, the way that recognizes the love of God in Jesus, the way that communes with Jesus in love, in a love like his through his own spirit, the way that sees Jesus as the one who saves me from myself. Is this what I need? I need to be saved from myself for God to live from him and through him and to him. So Jesus said in uh, John's gospel, <clears throat> I think he's using uh, a lot of the same ideas here, slightly different language what we have in, in John's gospel. He says, I am the door of the sheep. I am the door, he says. If anyone enters by me, he'll be saved and go in and out and find pasture. My sheep hear my voice. I know them. They follow me. And in John 14, he says, I am the way. That's the same word it's in, in Greek. It's the road, the path uh, that he talks about finding this, this difficult path. He says, I am the path. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. So Jesus is himself the door. He's the narrow gate. Jesus is the way. He's the difficult path that leads to life. He's a radically new and different way for humanity to relate to God. Uh, his way is one that is entirely contrary to our default factory presets as sinners. It's one that's never instinctive or natural to us. You can never guess it. You can never predict it in a million years. It's always a surprise. It's always a scandal, his way. It's always counterintuitive. It's always a mystery that has to be revealed. He welcomes you to enter the kingdom of heaven through the way that is himself, but he knows that few will and that it's all too easy to be led astray. It's too easy for us to live like <clears throat> life is about abstract virtues, morality. It's too easy to default to living like life is about virtues, to default like life is about material comforts, to default to life is about the acquisition of power, or to default to life is like transactions with the divine. Transactions with the divine rather than a free relationship of grace with the triune God of love through faith in Jesus. It's too easy to default to those things. We need the gospel of the crucified and risen Lord, the surprising gospel of the crucified Lord, the risen Lord Jesus, <clears throat> proclaimed to us. We need the gospel of the strange blessing of life in his kingdom. We need the good news of the unexpected Jesus, the unpredictable Jesus, actually the preposterous Jesus. So we need to listen to the teachers that Jesus wants us to listen to. Those who are faithful to his message. It's a bizarre message. 
that nobody wants to hear. Not just those teachers who tell us what we do want to hear. So Jesus warns us about false prophets, false teachers. And the apostles pick up that warning in in so many places throughout the New Testament. Uh, For example, Paul in 2 Timothy says, The time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears, they'll accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions. To tell me what I want to hear for the way of the self. So our sinful impulse is to want to hear false teaching. That's our default impulse. We want to hear false teaching. Every sinner wants to hear the same message of self. self Self-centeredness, self-sufficiency, being self-made, establish your own identity, choose your own adventure, whatever version of that. And false teachers are pretty good salesmen. They identify what the customer wants and they give it to them. So he says, they come to you, in verse 15, they they come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. So they're hungry. They want something from you. So they give you what you want. They say what you want to hear. They pretend that they're on your side. They pretend they're one of you. They pretend even that their message might come from God. So you feel safe in order to give them power in your life. These false teachers might even know their Bibles really well, and they might teach the scriptures with confidence. The Pharisees were the best teachers. Everybody knew that. The Judaizers in Galatia were persuasive. But they were false teachers because they didn't teach the scriptures with ultimate reference to Jesus. And that's what Jesus talks about when he says in Luke 24, hey, all the scriptures are about me. So if you're going to talk about the scriptures, you're going to talk about me. So what do you get when you teach the scriptures, but you don't proclaim through them the life and the love and the work and the grace of the crucified and risen Lord Jesus? You teach the scriptures, but you don't talk about Jesus. You get false teaching. So the best, most persuasive teachers in Israel taught the scriptures, but they were Jesus' enemies. And they didn't preach the true gospel. And they led people astray from Jesus. So you, as the church, are the ones who give false teachers power to lead you astray. You are called to be wary of them. You're called to detect them. And to stick instead with the narrow gate and the difficult way of Jesus. False teachers might be slick and deceptive, they might be tricksy and false, but Jesus calls you to recognize them, to recognize that their message is not the true message of the gospel. He says in verse 16, you will recognize them by their fruits, actually. So this is a law of nature that things bear fruit according to their nature. (laughs) That's how it works. It's obvious. Thorn bushes don't produce grapes. Grapevines produce grapes. Um, Thistles don't produce figs. Fig trees produce figs. False teachers don't produce the fruit of the true gospel in the church. The true proclamation of the gospel produces that fruit. It might be difficult to learn to distinguish between true and false teachers, uh, between the true gospel and false gospels, but it's imperative that you do so, Jesus says, to, uh, to keep to the narrow gate and the difficult way of Jesus so that you can find life and rest for your souls in him alone. So I realize that there's a bit of a difficulty with me, you know, a teacher, uh, telling you to trust some teachers and beware of other teachers. 
But I'm not even telling you, hey, trust me. I'm not saying that. I'm not saying, hey, you can always trust me. I'm telling you to do what Jesus said and the apostles told you to do. Be discerning or test the spirits, as John puts it. He says in uh, 1 John chapter 4, Beloved, do not believe every spirit. This is like the spirit of a prophet, right? So uh, don't, don't believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they're from God. For many false prophets have gone out into the world. By this you know the spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. And every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. So <clears throat> discern, test the spirits, be like the good old Bereans. You know, you've heard this before, uh, who they heard the message of the Apostle Paul and they didn't just receive it on his authority. They examined the scriptures to see if what he said was true. So let me remind you, you're not stuck with me. Uh, as if I had some inescapable, inevitable power and authority over you. If I'm a false teacher, you get rid of me. That's what you should do. Paul himself talks this way. He says in Galatians, again, talking about <clears throat> the problem with the Judaizers, these false teachers coming in and promoting a form of legalism uh, instead of the gospel. <clears throat> he says, there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. But even if we... Or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preached to you. Let him be accursed. As we've said before, so now I say again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you received, let him be accursed. <clears throat> so Paul doesn't just say, beware of other teachers who might lead you astray. There's those bad guys out there. You want to watch out for them. <clears throat> he says, even if I would lead you astray with a false gospel. Or an angel from heaven. Talk about charismatic power and authority. Let him be accursed. And he repeats himself for emphasis. It's pretty dreadful, this curse. Let the false teacher be accursed. He doesn't say anything like that about sinners in the church doing bad things, sinning on a regular basis. <clears throat> but he says it about false teachers. Let them be accursed. Apparently that's a serious threat. <clears throat> so Jesus tells us, to learn to recognize them by their fruit. So when, when false teachers preach a false gospel, the fruit is uh, the wide gate and the easy way that leads to destruction. The message they preach is the way of self, whether that's you know, subtly cloaked in Christian language or not. The, the message they preach is what sinners want to hear. It's a message of self-reliance. It's a message of self-advancement. It's motivated by guilt or by the, the pl uh, promises of power or pleasure. The false teacher himself uh, will lack the spiritual fruits of true humility and love. And his message will mean that those who embrace it will also lack the fruits of true humility and love that come from the gospel. So uh, Paul, again, in 1 Timothy, says, If anyone teaches a different doctrine and does not agree with the sound words of our Lord Jesus Christ and the teaching that accords with godliness... He's puffed up with conceit and understands nothing. He has an unhealthy craving for controversy and for quarrels about words which produce envy, dissension, slander, evil suspicions, and constant friction among people who are depraved in mind and deprived of the truth imagining that godliness is a means of gain. Ravenous wolves trying to <clears throat> sell 
whatever it is they're teaching as a means of gain. So the false teacher will not direct your hearts and minds to Jesus, not to the true Jesus of the scriptures anyway, not the unexpected, unpredictable, preposterous Jesus that's known only through God's revelation. The false teacher might propose a nice Jesus uh, everyone in the world might like, but he won't proclaim a crucified, risen Lord Jesus who says, pick up your cross and follow me in the way of sacrificial love. Paul says earlier in 1 Timothy, uh, it says that the aim of our charge is love. The aim of the whole, all this is about love. We preach the gospel so that you would love. The aim of our charge is love that issues from a pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith. Certain persons, by swerving from these, have wandered away into vain discussion, desiring to be teachers of the law without understanding either what they're saying or the things about which they make confident assertions. So if someone would fill your head with anything but Jesus and the strangeness of his power and the scandal of his grace and the crucifixion of the self and the spirit of God's love alive in you for the sake of your growing and your your ability to love God and love other people, then their message will not bear the fruit of divine love. It will make for conceited people. It will make for condemning, antagonistic, divisive people who mock other people for, for their amusement. And when you start paying attention, you can, you can detect things like that from, from people. A false gospel, a message that is not about Jesus, won't produce the fruit of Jesus' life, either in the false teacher who proclaims it or in the congregation who hears it. And a false teacher won't like to be confronted about things like that. You think a wolf likes to be confronted about anything? Uh, you think a wolf will insist that he's a sheep when he's being asked? Do you think that a wolf might even believe for himself that he's a sheep? How do you think that he'll respond to sheep who question his authority? How will he respond to the call to repentance and faith in Jesus? A wolf will not be able to keep fruit, in, uh, to bear fruit in keeping with repentance. He won't be able to demonstrate the humility and love of Christ when he's confronted with the true gospel and a call to repentance. And ultimately, Jesus says uh, it's bad news for him. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Every such tree, every such person, every false teacher and their followers are headed through the wide gate down the easy way that leads to destruction because that's what life apart from Jesus means. Because in the scriptures, according to Jesus, life, life is life with God. Life is nothing but life with God. Eternal life, true life, is life with God. And only in the true gospel of Jesus Christ do you hear the words of eternal life, the message of life with God as a gift of his grace. Only in the true gospel do you hear of God becoming a man in order to share his life and his glory with us, even though we've been murderous rebels and usurpers. Only in the true gospel do you hear the call to worship the God-man who is a suffering servant. Only in the true gospel do you hear of the terrible love of God on the cross, Jesus enduring pain and scorn and humiliation and shame for our forgiveness. Only in the true gospel do you hear that your old self has been crucified with Christ and that it's no longer you who live but Christ in you, that you live vicariously through Jesus in his relationship with God. Only in the true gospel do you hear of the communion that we have with the Son of God in times when we're betrayed like he was betrayed. 
or in opportunities that we have to forgive others as he's forgiven us. Only in the true gospel do you hear of the strange blessing of life in his kingdom that nobody would choose, the blessedness of knowing Jesus in poverty and mourning and suffering. Only in the true gospel do you hear that when you're being disciplined, it isn't God's wrath. It's God's love, and he's treating you like his own beloved son who was himself perfected through suffering. Only in the true gospel do you hear Jesus warning you because he loves you that he's the only way to God and that you should not be deceived by those who propose other ways to God, other ways to live. Don't listen to some spiritual guru who makes himself to be the authority who says, listen to me. Listen to teachers who will say, you've got to listen to Jesus. Listen to teachers who will point you to Jesus and tell, him, tell you that you must go to him. You can go to him personally. Listen to the good teacher, Jesus. He's calling you to respond carefully to, to him. He is the narrow gate and the difficult path, the only one that leads to true life with God, and in him alone you'll find rest for your souls. Amen. Let's pray. <clears throat> Lord Jesus, we come to you for rest and for life. You know, it's easy for us to get sidetracked and look for life elsewhere and to listen to the messages of false teachers because those are the kinds of things we want to hear. We pray that you would keep us close to you, that your spirit would fix our eyes on you, that you would teach us to recognize and identify false teachers in order to keep away from them and keep close to you. We pray in your name. Amen.